Well, we continue in our good journey, and in particular, our journey to Bethlehem, having spent some time looking at John the Baptist, who points us the way to Bethlehem, and Mary and Joseph, who make their own journey to Bethlehem, and the shepherds who make their journey to Bethlehem. Today, we take a look at those who we don't often look at at Advent, but look at following Advent in the Christmas season, uh, and that being the wise men that we find in Matthew's telling of the story in the second chapter of his gospel. So hear the word of God. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observe his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, so it has been written by the prophets, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. And when they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that the star had been stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Again, O Lord, we wonder about our path to Bethlehem and are grateful for those who have journeyed the path before us. And pray, O Lord, that we may learn from their journeys that we too may find our way to Bethlehem. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I witnessed a fall the other night. I witnessed a falling star. It might have been a part of those meteor showers that we've had in the sky recently. I wouldn't know because the truth is I am not much of a stargazer. I'd like to be, but I don't have the time or maybe the personality to sit so still for so long. But driving the other night, there she fell right in front of me, some billion-year-old meteor streaking through the atmosphere on fire for its last milliseconds of life. So it wasn't even a star I was seeing, but it made me take a moment to look at the stars hanging still in the sky, fixed points of light that appear in their place as reliable as the sun's rising and setting. 
It made me appreciate the star gazers, the folks who, who stare into the stars and see and feel the invitation to wonder about the cosmos and even what is behind the cosmos. We owe a great debt to the star gazers and the star explorers and the star followers, for in their gazing they have discovered important truths of our universe. In particular, we owe a great debt to one Nicolaus Copernicus, 16th century scientist, who gazed long enough into the night sky to begin to realize that the appearances and the apparent movements of the stars and the planets were suggestive of the fact that the Earth was not the center of the universe. I suppose that may have been a very difficult conclusion to arrive at, for if there was anything more certain in the world at that time, it was the belief that the Earth was the center of the universe. The Bible suggested that the earth was the center of the universe. Theological doctrines insisted that the earth was the center of the universe. Scientific theorems were built upon the earth being the center of the universe. But here was this lone stargazer gazing into the night sky and seeing something that led him to imagine outside the confines of accepted cosmology. He had, he had followed the stars to lead him from inside Inside the scientific and theological community and its presuppositions and of the planets and their positions to the outside of accepted argument to where he was able to discover something more true than the world and its scientists and its theologians had ever surmised. It takes great curiosity and great courage to move from the inside to the outside which may be a part of the story we read in Matthew when he tells us about the wise men from the east. Of course, there's not much that we know about the wise men for sure. We're not sure how many of them there were. Perhaps there were three, one per gift, but we just don't know. We're not sure exactly where they were from, except somewhere out east, as we say here in Sarasota, out east. Maybe Iran, maybe Iraq, somewhere out east. And we're not sure what they were wise about. Maybe they were Zoroastrian priests. Maybe they were magicians. Maybe they were kings of philosophy. Maybe they were astrologers. But for sure, they were on the inside of their own culture. They were settled in their positions of privilege and security somewhere out there in the east. They didn't have to go anywhere else. They could have stayed settled where they were. But they were stargazers. They looked up enough into the sky to see something unusual, a movement in the cosmos, and they allowed the, the shooting, the falling, the meandering, the crawling star to lead them out of their confines to the outside, to the backwoods region of Palestine, to the city of Jerusalem, to consult with the king, king to king. And then from there to Bethlehem to find the king of the Jews, king to king to king. And, and, and Matthew paints this great juxtaposition, magi from the east scrunched into some peasant's cave, laying down gold and frankincense and myrrh, oh my. Maybe it would have been easier just to have stayed home. Maybe it would have been just more comfortable staying home and receiving the adulation of their own people. Maybe they could have been content with their Zoroastrian beliefs. But, but no, no, they can't let that star go unfollowed. 
even if it means having to leave the inside to go outside. It takes great curiosity and great courage to leave the inside to go outside. It's been that way from the very beginning. Abraham and Sarah, wise and wealthy folks from the east, hear the voice of God stirring within them, and the voice says, leave your home, Abraham and Sarah. Leave your familiar home and head west, and I will show you a new land, and I will make of you a new people. And so Abraham and Sarah leave the inside of the familiar to go outside into a new and strange land and there God makes of them a new nation. It's the great migration of heart and mind of land and earth. You, you can't read the Bible without realizing that life it is to be lived is to journey from the inside of your comfort, the inside of your familiarity, to leave the safe and friendly confines to discover something more true than what the world has surmised or even what you have surmised. What are you surmising? And what would it take to leave the confines of your conjecture? It's a pretty scary thing to pack up and let your curiosity get the better of you. Francis Collins, the director of the National Institutes of Health, and the lead scientist on the project to map out the human genome, one of the greatest discoveries of the 20th century, tells of when he was young and pursuing his passion of science, and that at that young age, he could not leave room for anything beyond the rational, the measurable, and the quantitative. Everything else in his mind, especially religion, was hocus-pocus. When he finished up his studies at Yale and his graduate degree in quantum mechanics, he fell into a depression when he realized that he had been preparing for the wrong thing. Not enough human touch, he thought to himself in those fields of study, so he packed up and went to, back to school, to medical school, where he learned to be a doctor, and, and there he met real human beings, and he, and he suffered along real human beings, and along the way, these real human beings expressed something new to him. They expressed their faith, but it had no interest in him, this faith, because faith was not quantifiable. And then he said to himself, but how can you reject something you've not yet explored yourself? I am not applying the scientific method. So he followed the star and began to explore this thing called faith and left the confines of his conjecture to meet with preachers and teachers to discover the regions of religion. And to his great surprise, became convinced of God, discovered a new truth on his way to discovering other new truths, all because he allowed his curiosity to follow the voice, the prodding, the star. It's easier, right, not to have to worry about all that. It's easier just to camp in the confines of your own conjecture. It's easier to persist in your own prejudice. It, it feels like home when you hold on to the same old things you've been holding on to, but, but you know it's a fool who somehow thinks that the universe can fit inside the confines of this skull and the pathway of my own life experience. Do you really think you have the greatest vantage point to see all of what is true? 
There are more things, Horatio, says Shakespeare's Hamlet, there are more things than are dreamt of in your philosophy. That's true, of course. We, we, we know that up here in our brains, at least that we hope, I hope we do. But, but maybe it's our hearts we have to worry about. Home, you know, is where we, the heart is, we say, and that may be the problem because I think for a lot of us, there's a part of our hearts that just wants to stay home with our familiar opinions and viewpoints and worldviews. But then there's this other part of our heart that wants to tell us, but there is more to be discovered outside the walls of our prejudicial penitentiaries. Henry Nouwen, the priest and prolific author of last century, had grown into a pattern of popularity and writing and speaking, but he began to realize that as his popularity grew, his world had grown smaller and smaller and smaller. So he decided to move, move out of his house to a new home within the L'Arche community in Richmond Hill, Ontario. The L'Arche community is a community of profoundly disabled children of God. And so the good priest took himself outside of himself and into the world of the disabled, and his view of the world began to change. He spent the last 10 years of his life walking alongside the struggling Said now, and compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who mourn, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. Maybe that's another way of saying that sometimes the star has a place for you to go outside of yourself. I got to know years ago a young mother who was raising her three children in a little town in the Copan region of Honduras. And this mother, her name is Patty, as she raised her children in the comfort of her own home, she was concerned to see out in the streets of her barrio children running through the neighborhood in the middle of the day. And they were doing this because they were not attending the public school because they not, could not afford to go to the public school. In Honduras, the public schools include a small fee for uniforms and supplies that prevents many of the children from being able to attend. So Patty set up a little classroom in her garage and she started teaching these children from her barrio who couldn't go to school. And pretty soon the garage wasn't big enough so she, she wondered about maybe she could find a building to use to teach her children and she looked and the star settled onto a piece of land where they began dreaming of a school and sure enough a school rose out of the ground and she continued to teach and invite others to teach with her and invite gringos like me down to see what it meant to be getting outside of yourself getting outside of your own home and to step into the lives of the weak and the vulnerable and the powerless and all of a sudden the world begins to look different 200 children now attend her little school. Amazing where the star might lead you. Maybe you, it's tutoring a fourth grader in math. Or maybe you, it's, it's reading to a first grader at the Wilkinson School. 
Or maybe you, it's, it's, it's handing out food in our food pantry. Maybe it's you, it's, it's building a Habitat house. Does that feel outside your comfort zone? Well, good. God's not here to make you comfortable. God is here to make you wise. And wisdom comes in the lives of others. And maybe that's a lot of what we celebrate in these last days of Advent, that, that God, God in the comforts of God's holy palace, even God looks out the confines of his conjecture and leaves home to make his own way to Bethlehem, to the lives of those peasants, to the lives of those outside shepherds, to the lives of those star followers, to the nastiness of King Herod, to the plight of God's people, to the plight even of us, so that God may know something even more than what God already knew, that God might know us, suffer with us, be weak, vulnerable, and powerless with us. Full immersion into the condition of being human. This is compassion, and this is God. God is always putting up that star to take us to our new nativities where something new might be born in us. In the same year that the great British poet T.S. Eliot became a Christian after he had journeyed himself from the comforts of his agnosticism. He wrote a poem about the wise men. He entitled it The Journey of the Magi. And in the poem, he imagines the laborious journey of the wise men from the east to find finally the place where the Christ child laid. And he imagines how for the wise men, that as they witnessed the beginnings of Jesus' life, they were also experiencing the death of their old life. Something had to die in them in order for something to be born. And Eliot concludes the poem in the voice of one of the wise men, were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly we had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death our death. We returned to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation. Love God, we say, and love our neighbor. This is our mission. And maybe love is the star. Maybe love is the star in the night sky. Maybe love is what beckons us to follow. Maybe love is what gets us out of our confines to see the world as it is and not what we think it is. To discover the birth far away in the faces of those whose lives we have yet to understand. And with such birth, to allow our presuppositions and prejudices to die, that we too might find a new nativity and be born again.